You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Rush, your host, and this is episode number 178. Today's topic is one that's very important for making your bigger, bolder impact, and that's strategies for hiring high performers. So did you know that I coach leaders to build high-performing teams with leadership and communication strategies? I've been doing this work for over 30 years, so this is absolutely a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I definitely work with a lot of privately held and family businesses and nonprofits. So let's dive in. You know, Hiring and retaining high performers is key to scaling. And whether you're a family business, otherwise privately held, or a nonprofit, you will do your best with high-performing team members. In a family business, I often see the dynamics of entitlement or obligation, where next-gen members assume they'll get the position and title regardless of effort. Or at times, the now-gen just assumes the next-gen has what it takes to move the business successfully into the future. It would be great if all of this was true, but unfortunately, in real life, it doesn't always happen this way. These strategies apply to family, friends, and those who don't know. These strategies for hiring high performers apply to family, friends, and those you don't know when bringing new people into your organization. So first, let's define high performer. To be a high performing, a person must have both aptitude and attitude, and they need both. Over almost 30 years, I've never had a client explain away why a high-knowledge person with a bad attitude provided it enough value to warrant keeping them on. The thing is, situations create collateral damage. Here are some of the excuses I hear from the business owner or leaders when they're trying to tell me why they should keep on an employee who knows a lot but has a bad attitude. So they know the organization inside and out. They have unique knowledge. I can't find anyone better. Or what if I get someone worse? No one knows what they do or how to do it. We don't have the passwords. And I, I'm going to tell a couple of stories now, and especially that we don't know what they do and we don't have the passwords. Please, if you're in that circumstance, if, you're, <laughs> if your heart took a little hitch when I said that, um, do document processes and passwords and important phone numbers and addresses and all of those kinds of things because for sure you do not want to uh, keep an employee on because they're the only ones who have that information and some will use that as a way to uh, keep their jobs. <laughs> so um, please, please, please document. So let me tell you the stories of a couple of real life circumstances that happened with clients. Keep in mind, in each scenario, I was working with that leader or business owner to say, you need to set very clear expectations, help them make better choices. But ultimately, if they're unwilling, they need you need to move them out of the organization. You might say, let them share their joy, spread their sunshine elsewhere. So one was a chiropractic clinic, and it was a larger chiropractic clinic. And the front desk person who um, 
she she worked at the front desk and she also managed the patient files which were behind her at the desk and everyone was afraid of her and they literally were afraid to even grab the patient files because she would get angry if they went behind her at the desk and they had some employees who refused to even work while she was working and so they were also modifying the employee work schedules around um all the discomfort that this front desk person was creating and we had a conversation with her and she said you know what this is just how I am and everyone has to deal with it and yeah people do have to deal with it but not necessarily at work but so you know the doctor had um and very often healthcare professionals I see this that hard to heal and serve and he felt bad and he thought oh she really needs the job but she wasn't doing a good job and she wasn't that friendly to the patients either and man can you imagine like you're already hurting not feeling well and then the first person to greet you at your doctor's office is someone who's really cranky because you're in their way and they'd rather not see you. So ultimately, he did end up moving her out and it, and it was great. But yeah, he had a lot of the guilt and uh, scary feelings about keeping her. Uh, then there was the office manager who um, employees loved her, patients loved her, but she was likely stealing. And again, the <laughs> this was another doctor actually, but he was racked with guilt feeling like I don't want her to think that I don't trust her, you know, and I said, well, you probably shouldn't. And you're just putting in some protocols to make sure that she can't. And, you know, you do need to do something if you find out that she is. So that's another one where, uh, you know, the guilt and the uncertainty and the feeling like he wasn't going to be able to hire anyone better anyway, kept him, um, you know, kept him stuck with this employee. Uh, then there was the nonprofit program manager who had all the passwords um, and no one knew what he did. And so he had a bad attitude and he was not helpful and he was very gruff and didn't hit deadlines and was not a team player. And they didn't know what to do about it because he had all this power because he had the specific knowledge. And um, so please don't put yourself in that circumstance is what I will say there. If you want a team of high performers, you want to have a culture that attracts them and entices them to stay. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about in that in a second. But in all instances, if you're having to accommodate poor behavior or job performance, um, your high performers are frustrated. So that's collateral damage. So what are the advantages of hiring high performers and having them stay? Well, it probably goes without saying, but let's create this list. So one, less training required. Yeah, you'll have to teach them the ins and outs of your particular business, but they're likely coming in with great skills and an openness to learning, and they're probably going to learn quickly. They use discretionary effort. So this is, you know, if they have a little extra time on their hands, they're not going to sit around and wait for someone to tell them what to do. They use their discretionary effort. They go out of their way to stay active. Um, higher productivity. They're probably more efficient. They're always thinking ahead. Uh, they need less supervision. So those eyes and ears that are on the team um, have less to pay attention to. You can just trust that they're going to get the job done. You don't have to be standing over their shoulder reminding them about deadlines. They're going to get things done. Creative problem solvers. I love this one. Um, you know, if, they're, if they have a challenge, they're going to figure out a great way to solve it. They're accountable. They are, have personal accountability, so they're likely, you don't have to hold them accountable, so that's that whole, they need less supervision. So uh, delegate, let them know what you need done, and they're going to do it. They care. 
part of caring um, is what creates a good problem solver, right? Because they care about the business, they care about doing a good job, they care about um, the impression that people have of your business, your clinic, or your nonprofit. Um, and because they care, and uh, they will improve your patient and customer experience. People who deal with them are going to appreciate it. The cons, you need a culture that will entice them to stay. Your high performers have more options. And again, if you're accommodating behavior or attitudes that aren't consistent with a good culture, one, you have someone in a spot that could be filled with a high performer, and two, you're making it more uncomfortable for your high performers that you do have. So let's talk briefly about, I want to share um, a little bit about the hiring process just to make it a little more efficient for you. So often um, the leaders I work with are just really reluctant to build their high performing team. They don't, they don't feel confident about even the skills they should be looking like, what do I need in this next hire? And they don't feel confident they're, they're going to be able to sift through resumes and then even candidates once they're doing the interviews to determine who really will be a good fit. So I break down the hiring process into a few categories or a few steps. And the first is sourcing. So that's finding the great candidates, sifting, selecting. So that's when you're starting to make the decision, sealing the deal. That's when you make the offer and then assimilating, which involves onboarding, bringing them in. So um, sourcing, that is, you know, there's lots of places to post. You can just go and look for resumes, um, all of that. So in terms of sifting, though, I definitely recommend putting in a step or two for them to even be considered as a candidate. You know, these days it's so easy to apply for a job. So uh, put in some steps that make them do a little bit of extra work to be considered. Um, you know, too often you can post a, you know, project manager position or a director level position and you have medical assistants applying because they're, or, you know, customer service people or whatever that they're just applying for everything. And so um, definitely use a sifting process that asks them to add answer some questions, uh, include a cover letter, those kinds of things, so that they have to do some extra effort uh, to actually apply for your job. And some people will self-select out then. You know, they're not going to put in the extra effort if they know they don't have the qualifications. Um, so then the next is going through the resumes. And, you know, years ago, you were able to sift out candidates who had job hopping. But I will say it's harder to do now because of the way the economy's been and just the way employers work these days. It's not like you start working somewhere and with a plan to work there your whole career. So, it, it, you know, it's really tough to eliminate someone just based on lots of different jobs. So um, I will likely, if they have great experience, good skills, it looks like on paper, I will likely still have a conversation with them during a phone interview just quickly to learn why they have moved so many times. Um, so that's that quick phone interview that I do. Now, in terms of starting to interview, um, you know, and again, as I'm sifting through resumes, I'm, I'm looking for glaring reasons um, why I wouldn't want to consider them for a position. You know, like doesn't have the right um, skills, uh, didn't really put any effort into the cover letter or answering the questions. Uh, it doesn't make me feel like they're very passionate about the work. Um, I do like to ask, like, why this organization, you know, have them uh, do a little research so they can write uh a cover letter and an answer that's specific about your organization. But once I'm interviewing people, um, I do like to build rapport for sure. I'm not a fan of adding extra stress to the interview process. I know some people have this philosophy of like, let's see how that, you know, how they handle it when they're really, really 
anxious, but um, I really, I want to get their best actually. And I'd rather have good answers than put them at ease. So I definitely build rapport, make them feel comfortable. And if they are, um, feel, you know, visibly nervous, uh, I just encourage them that everything's fine and we're just going to have a nice conversation. Um, the very first question I always ask provides tons of information. And that is, um, I ask them to walk backwards through the resume, starting with the oldest job first and move forward. So they tell a story of their whole career history. And um, you can just get a wealth of information with just that one question, because what it does is, one, you can see if they can be succinct. And two, um, you get a summary of their job responsibilities, how long they were at each job and why they left. So that's what I ask. I say, let's walk. I want you to walk backwards through your resume for each position. I want to know your main job responsibilities, one thing you're particularly proud of, how long you were there, and why you left. And people will give you a wealth of information just from that one question. And again, you get a sense of, um, you know, if they're a good communicator or not, too. If they ramble and ramble and ramble, and you take some uh, time to try to get them to kind of be succinct um, and summarize versus tell you lifelong stories for each job. Um, you know, that'll give you some information too. And then um, I am always looking, yes, for the skills. And for sure there are skills that are going to be required. And if it's a lawyer or a nurse or some, you know, there are requirements for the job um, where you're not even allowed to hire them unless they have them. Absolutely, um, you make sure they have those. And then if there are skills that would take a long time to learn, uh, those would have be have-to-haves. However, if there are skills that you could pretty easily teach on the job that wouldn't take too much of an investment, um, maybe those are nice to haves, but not have to haves. And also, um, and then, but what is not a negotiable is their personality because you can't change personality. And so for me, uh, using behavioral based interviewing is the most important. Um, because the personality, the behaviors that the person exhibits is what's going to uh, help to create the culture, um, fit in with the culture that you're designing in your organization, and uh, the experience ultimately for those you serve. So if you think in terms of, um, you know, what do you want it to feel like to do business with you or, you know, gain a service at your nonprofit, think about the experience visually that you have between the pediatric clinic your child versus a high-end CPA firm. See how different that is? Um, if you walked into a high-end CPA firm to talk about your business and your taxes, you probably don't want people in colorful um, clinic wear <laughs> with smiley faces all over, right? Um, and there aren't going to be toys and there aren't going to be, you know, magazines and um, highlights magazines uh, on little tiny tables, right? And so, uh, Think about how it's the people and the whole ambiance of the office that creates the experience. So you want the behavior and personality of the high performers. The definition of a high performer for you is going to be different than the definition of a high performer behavior-wise um, for other businesses or nonprofits. So make a list of the key traits um, for someone who's going to be a good fit for the experience you want to create in your business or nonprofit. And then from that list, you're gonna create a behavioral-based interviewing question for each. So now I'm getting into the dynamics of how can you determine if someone's going to be a high performer or not. So here are some of the keys 
for behavioral-based interviewing in case you're not familiar. So the technique is based on the philosophy that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So in this interview style, you're asking candidates to tell you a true story that illustrates how they've behaved in the past to give you an idea of how they'll likely react in your business if hired. So if a high performer in your organization must have great customer service, you could ask something like, tell me about a time when you went above and beyond for a customer. What was the circumstance? What did you do about it? And what was the outcome? So you're always looking for those three things in any story that you're asking them to tell. And I, and I don't mean story by make it up, I mean story by tell me a real story that you um, that happened to you in the past. So the story should illustrate how they would behave if they ran into a similar situation in your business. So, um, so the three, what was the circumstance, what did you do about it, and what was the outcome? You always want to look for those three. So create a question like this for each key behavior that you want in what you're defining as a high performer. So as they answer, hop in for clarification if they start using phrases like, I would. So that is a little um, indication that it's hypothetical versus a real story. So definitely stop them and say, oh, you're saying I would. I really want you to look back into your history and find a, a situation where you actually dealt with something like this and tell me what you did. Um, the next is you also want to look for phrases that begin with, we. That always makes me go, hmm. So it sounds like a few of you worked on this issue. What role did you play? So I definitely clarify um, because I want to know, did they take initiative to come up with the creative problem, you know, the creative solution, or did someone have to direct them? That's a vastly different response, right? So if the customer was frustrated and then we did thus and such to fix it and then the customer was happy, did the person come up with it on, the, on their own or did someone have to jump in? Now, maybe you're like, I don't want them to come up with the solution. I want to know if there's an unhappy customer because I do want to jump in. That might be, I, I tend to not... Um, call a person a high performer if they're interested in having someone else dictate all of their actions, but you might, you know, um, each business and, and nonprofit is different. But um, generally, I'm looking for someone who's taking that initiative, being a good creative problem solver, handling things on their own, um, you know, to a degree that's appropriate. But again, you're going to create questions like this for all the different things. So if you want them to be someone who is uh, takes initiative, talk about Tell me about a time when you saw a process that was failing or some work that needed to be done and it wasn't really your responsibility. What was the circumstance? What did you do about it? And what was the outcome? And you, you will want to see that they jumped in or they at least alerted someone. So take a look at how they've handled situations like that in the past to determine if they are in fact a high performer that's going to fit well into your organization. And I know it's rough building confidence in your hiring when you've had some missteps. And I've seen it so often. Again, so many of the excuses that I get from business owners about holding on to employees that are not high performers is around like, I'll never find anyone better. At least this is a known entity. Maybe you've said that yourself even, but I promise you it can get better. You can build confidence and you can make informed decisions. But in the meantime, if you need additional help building your high performing team, I am here to help.
And if you've been reluctant to build out a team or perhaps relied too heavily on family or friends in your business, I invite you to sign up for my free masterclass. I'm going to be on Zoom sharing the seven keys to building your high-performing team with confidence. I'm going to be sharing all the strategies to help you make the right decision about the skills, personality required, and how to gain a more accurate picture of a candidate during the selection process. Now, this is a free masterclass, like I said, and it's going to be on Zoom. So it'll be interactive. You'll be able to ask your questions. So I really would love to meet you there. It would be awesome. So here's where you can sign up. You can go to defeatthedrama.com forward slash HPT class. That's defeatthedrama.com forward slash HPT class which stands for High Performing Team Class, HPT Class. So I really hope to see you there. It would be great. I love to see faces. It's so nice. And I have the interaction. But you know, if you don't have time to wait and there's just too much friction in your business affecting results, you can always grab a spot on my calendar. I'm your team performance pro. I've worked with leaders just like you for over 30 years and can get to the root cause fast and design your fix get rid of that friction. And you can grab your spot for that by going to defeatthedrama.com forward slash call. All right. Thanks for joining. I hope you have an amazing day and um, get out there and make your bigger, bolder impact. And if you need help, reach out. I'm here. Thank you. Thank you.